0: Hello and welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. My name is Ben Craven and today I'm joined by Matt Burgess. Hi Ben. Uh, Matt, earlier this week you had a fantastic piece in the New Zealand Herald. You challenged Climate Change Minister James Shaw to show how his emissions reduction plan will actually reduce emissions given that emissions in New Zealand are subject to the ETS. Can you tell us a bit more about
1: what's going on? Yeah, so this week, submissions closed on James Shaw's emissions reduction plan. We duly put our uh, submission in. Lots of work went into it. It was good fun writing it, actually. Um, James Shaw's got a bit of a conundrum. Uh, On the one hand, he has uh, introduced a hard quantity cap on emissions into the emissions trading scheme in legislation last year. This is the first year it's been in action. In my view, it's been a a raging success. We now have a $65 ETS. It's biting pretty hard if you're burning coal or natural gas. uh, And that's (laughs) great because it's driving investment, changing behaviour as we speak, um, getting people out of cars and so on, it is going to cut emissions and I think it's going to have quite a substantial impact. Uh, And then alongside this uh, quantity cap on the emissions trading scheme, you've got James Shaw pushing his emissions reduction plan. And this is a collection of what we call complementary policies that are going to work alongside and underneath this ETS cap. Now, the interesting thing, and so we're talking things like EV subsidies, 100% renewable electricity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Lots, big, big, big programme covers the entire economy, every sector of the economy, taxes, subsidies, rules, regulations, bans, you name it. Huge government intervention. Huge government intervention in the name of reducing emissions. It's well known about cap and trade schemes that once you've capped emissions, other policies under the cap can't reduce emissions any further. So right. the ETS has got the sinking lid on emissions, it's going to slide down in line with our emissions targets, it'll reach net zero in 2050 in line with our target. So we've got, we've got budgets, right? So we've got emissions budgets and those are coming down over time in line with our targets. So the question is, what is the point of an emissions reduction plan if you've already got a cap and other policies under the cap can't reduce emissions any further? What we do in our submission and what, what I talk about in the Herald article is just to point out that actually the government has never actually set out its strategy, actually shown how its strategy can perform what we think is nearly a logically impossible feat of reducing emissions under uh, an emissions trading scheme cap.
0: Right, so James Shaw, he must seem a little bit conflicted. I mean, you, you pointed to the fact before that it was his piece of legislation last year uh, that actually put this hard cap in place. What's he trying to do with these other policies?
1: So, Shaw, uh, look, let's let's be clear. What the common ground here is, uh, Shaw agrees that his cap does indeed cap emissions. He also agrees, I think, that a cap, if a cap decides total emissions, then other policies under the cap do not decide emissions. Effectively, the cap neutralises those other policies. So he accepts that. He accepts that. So the question is, okay, what's What's the way around this uh, so-called waterbed effect? This neutralising effect of an emissions cap on other policies is called a waterbed effect. How do you get around this waterbed effect? His entire emissions reduction plan depends on his ability to circumvent uh, this neutralising waterbed effect on his emissions reduction plan. And his answer is that you get around this neutralising effect by linking the emissions benefits of policies under the cap back to the cap itself. So if you've got an EV subsidy, for example, and it takes 100 tonnes out of the transport sector, you lower the cap by 100 tonnes and you do the same thing for other policies. So that's his answer. Now, what we do in our submission this week on his emissions reduction plan is consider that answer uh, at some length. We go through it over 12 or 13 pages, just walking step by step through the permutations to try and find a way where that actually makes sense. We don't think it's right. We think his logic on this uh, doesn't work. You can imagine a weird combination of things where it could work, but even then it would only make a minor difference. And in virtually all circumstances, the ETS really is going to neutralise Uh, his entire emissions reduction plan, everywhere except agriculture, and that's only because agriculture is not under the cap. Pretty much everything else in the economy is. So this is a big deal, and I think our point here is that um, we don't pretend that our our 12-page submission is definitive, but this is a piece of work that should have been done years ago. The government's got these vast plans to take over, uh, regulate, control, influence, subsidise, ban, etc., Every sector of the economy, you know, let's not understate the vast scale of what we're talking about here. The government hasn't actually established how that uh, entire plan is going to actually get us towards our targets. It's going to impose tens of billions of dollars of costs over the coming decades, potentially. It's going to vastly expand the size of government in all likelihood. We don't know how it cuts emissions. That's a key piece of the puzzle that hasn't been done. And so our challenge to James Shaw is that piece of work showing us the maths of how you get to lower emissions through your emissions reduction plan has to be done.
0: Right, because in, the, in your submission you show that it's actually the cap that does all the work. So if you've got a complementary policy that manages to reduce uh, emissions in one sector by a significant amount, any sort of amount really, uh, they're going to use that as justification to reduce the cap further, right? That seems to me more like a sort of a sales trick, than hard economics if the cap's doing all the work?
1: Well, it has in Shield of Appeal, right? You know, you've got a cap, um, then you do this this other thing, that other thing cuts emissions, you link that back to the cap. It's actually, it is a trick, uh, because, and here's the key thing, you can always just cut the cap. You don't need the other policy. The link to the other policy is actually arbitrary. Ultimately, the cap is in the hand of politicians, and under all plausible circumstances, they can always just reduce the cap, without the policy. And and let me try to show you how arbitrary that link is. Politicians control the cap. They can raise or lower it however much they like, and actually the current plan is just to set the cap to come down in line with our targets. And that's all you need. That gets you to net zero. Makes sense. As long as you keep enforcing the cap. And there's no reason why the government can't keep doing what it's doing right now, doing a good job actually, enforcing the cap all the way to net zero. You can use your discretion or your control over the cap to link it to anything. Um, James Shaw says link it to policies that means policies bring emissions down but why not link it to something else how about cumulative rainfall for example (laughs) well you know you could it's just another thing to link it to but nobody would seriously suggest that last week's storm cut emissions right it's the same with policy so as long as the government has the ability to just lower the cap um, without doing any other policy then it's not the policies that's cutting emissions it's always the cap the cap's doing all the work and the thing about just letting the cap do the work without the policy is that using the cap, using the ETS, it is going to cut emissions from wherever um, the next lowest cost place to do it is. Whereas if you do it with a, try to do it with a policy and then link it back to the cap, you're going to consistently force emissions down through a high cost channel. EV subsidies spend more than $1,000 per tonne on average, at least in overseas studies, to cut each tonne of emissions at the same time as the ETS can avoid or abate a tonne of emissions right now for $65. Well, do the $65 option. It's a no-brainer.
0: Well it brings me to a pretty good point though. Uh, In your submission you say that there is actually a role for policy not, the, not so much these complementary policies, but more these enabling policies. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, So in our submission we, we do distinguish between what we call complementary policies and enabling policies. So complementary policies are policies that force emissions down through particular channels. Electric vehicle subsidies, the ban on offshore oil and gas exploration, 100% renewable electricity, the coal boiler replacement programme, all complementary policies. And we don't like those because they don't reduce emissions and they raise the cost of, of getting to net zero emissions. It would be better just to use the ETS and let the cap do the work, because it's selecting for least cost ways to cut emissions. And then you've got this other group of policies that we call enabling policies. And this is things like fixing planning laws so that it's easier to build a wind turbine, or adjusting the rules in the electricity market to properly recognise the value of uh, electricity coming in from rooftop solar panels and so on. So if, in other words, getting out of the way. Mm. Now, enabling policies are also neutralised by the ETS. They're subject to the waterbed effect just as much as complementary policies. The difference is that enabling policies are going to let you reduce a given quantity of emissions at a lower cost per tonne than if you just do the ETS alone. In other words, with enabling policies, you're expanding the set of opportunities that the ETS can consider when it's working out where to cut the next tonne of emissions. Now, if it turns out that Uh, Wind generation is an affordable place to get the next tonne of emissions from, but you've got an RMA that's in the way, and you've got to move to a more expensive alternative. Well, an enabling policy like fixing the RMA to let you build a wind turbine is a great way to – you don't cut any more emissions, but you spend less money doing it. Well, that's great. Everybody wins. We cut emissions. We get to our net zero target, uh, and we have more money in our pocket, or our children do, when we get there. It's it's all upside. So – the argument is not just do the ETS, it's to do what works. So start with the ETS, absolutely do the ETS. And I'm pleased to see nobody seems to actually disagree with um, the ETS continuing. Uh, But then the question is, what's the case for doing other policies? Well, one good reason, uh, even if you don't cut any more emissions, is to find ways to cut emissions, a given amount of emissions at less cost. And that's what enabling policies do. But Pretty much everything in James Shaw's emissions reduction plan, I'm sorry to say, are complementary policies. It's uh, taxes and subsidies and bans that are going to make it harder to get to our emissions targets. So you know, the irony in all of this is you have an emissions reduction plan that makes it harder to cut emissions and get to our targets. Gosh,
0: what you said makes sense, most people are on on board with reducing emissions. Uh, The the main gripe is of course the cost. So enabling policies that make shifts to lower emission technologies, lower emission fuel sources, they all make sense provided they make things cheaper. But officials say that the ETS is not enough. Why are they saying that?
1: Yeah, so the ETS is not enough is, is basically a mantra among officials. It's just incredible how often you hear that phrase uttered. And it's uttered to defend the idea of doing complementary policies. So the logic seems to be that if you just do the ETS, we're not going to get to our targets. Or if you just do the ETS, we're going to plant too many trees or not get enough EVs or whatever the flavour of the week this week is. But here's the thing. You've got a waterbed effect that applies whether or not the ETS is enough to get to the targets or not. Even if the ETS is not enough for whatever reason the ETS is still going to be neutralising other complementary policies. So even if the ETS is not enough, there is no justification for complementary policies if you're exactly as far short of your target with them as you are without them. So I think this waterbed effect has to be taken much more seriously because the core logic behind uh, doing complementary policies, which is that we're not going to get there with just the ETS, is faulty if your response to that shortfall is a
0: strategy that doesn't help. Complementary policies seem to be about the government taking with one hand and giving out to favoured groups with another. Um, but you're saying we should should just do the ETS?
1: Well, we should do what works. And so, yep, we, d- we start with the ETS, set the caps um, in line with targets, come down sinking lead every year, uh, and then look at what else you can do. So we suggest enabling policies, um, look at, Uh, Agriculture, that's still outside the cap. Uh, I think there's questions about whether agriculture really is going to come in in 2025. The guiding principle in all of this should be we should do what works and we should be looking for opportunities to cut more emissions affordably. Ultimately, we're going to get to net zero um, comfortably if we can find scalable, affordable policies. At the moment, the public sector is fighting the economics on climate change. It's constantly pushing policies that make it very expensive to cut each tonne of emissions. It's pushing policies that burn a lot of political capital in return for not much in the way of emissions reduction. The classic example is the fee-bait policy. It's been subsidising Tesla Model 3s and other shiny new um, electric vehicles uh, for some time now in various forms. Uh, Next year, it's going to start adding thousands of dollars to most imports of petrol and diesel vehicles. And that's a big deal. It's going to hit the second-hand car market. That's a big deal if you're on a low income. Highly regressive policy. In return, it's going to deliver, well, if you ignore the ETS, it's going to deliver almost no reduction in emissions. Something like 0.4% of transport emissions will come down, and that's less than 0.1% of overall emissions because transport's only a fifth of our emissions. Already, fee bait has attracted uh, public protests because it's, it's expensive. So you've just got officials you know, talking up the political constraints on the ETS at the same time as it's pushing egregiously regressive, unpopular policies that don't cut emissions, in effect. So I think the whole strategy has to be reorientated uh, towards cost-effectiveness, doing what works, being clear-eyed about the opportunities, and being willing to kill programmes that just either are neutralised by the ETS cap or aren't effective enough to justify their cost or their political burn rate.
0: Right, and where does it leave James Shaw? What does he need to do? Does he need to have a bit of a a stern stern talking to officials to get them to refocus?
1: Here's what we'd like James Shaw to do. We'd love to see him do uh, his own version of our submission on his emissions reduction plan. Our submission tried to walk through the logic of how you get policies under a cap to cut emissions. Uh, and the result of our analysis is that um, it takes an extraordinary combination of things to happen before you get the first ton of reductions. In other words, the emissions reduction plan is a terrible bet because it's virtually guaranteed to have no effect at all on emissions, and even if it does affect emissions, it's more likely to raise emissions than to lower them. So it's a terrible deal. He needs to commission his own piece of analysis that tests this logic. Now, I don't think he can do it because he is years down the track on his emissions reduction plan It's obviously embarrassing Mm. uh, at this point in the process to have to stop everything, go back to the start and just check the logic. Obviously that can't happen because I think... uh, He's um, in too deep. I think he's in too deep. I think there's a high likelihood that a sound analysis is going to find, reach conclusions that we did, which is there's virtually no chance that your plan's going to make any difference, Minister. going to cost a fortune. doesn't help emissions. You should stop. So I think sure will do everything he can to ignore what we're challenging him on and you can be sure that we're going to keep challenging
0: him given what's at stake. That's fantastic Matt Burgess thanks so much for joining me. You can view Matt's submission and recent NZ Herald article on our website that's nzinitiative.org.nz. Thanks again Matt. Thanks Ben. To stay up to date with our latest research, opinions and events, sign up to our weekly insights newsletter at nzinitiative.org.nz.